We're continuing looking at spiritual gifts, and we're on our second part of talking about the specific gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And I'm going to briefly review a little bit what we did last time. You can see kind of the big overview there on the page. We began by saying often when people discuss this issue, they ask, as the title would say, are you a continuist or a cessationist? And I tried to make the argument that those are maybe not always the most helpful terms. Rather, we should all agree on three broad, clear, and important foundations. Then the first is that God is, God has been, God is, and God always will be active in the world. Colossians, we looked at Romans 11.36, Colossians 1.15-17, we spent some more time on that showed not only did Christ create the world, but every single second, every single millisecond, for every single molecule, He is sustaining it. Thus, on that level, everyone, every Christian should be a continuist, because God is continually active in this world. He has not made it and then stepped back. But we also stated that not everything that claims to be from God is from God. The various verses on there that warn us to test the spirits, make sure there are not false prophets. And then third, we discussed the unique role of Jesus as the final prophet and then the apostles as his divinely sanctioned representatives. And the verses on there showing that Jesus gave them a unique title, apostle. Yes, apostle generically means sent one, so we could say every Christian is an apostle, but Jesus also specifically gave apostle the idea of one who has divine authority. Specifically, John sixteen thirteen through 15 Jesus said, you're going to basically be my mouthpiece. And so the New Testament is not just Jesus' words, the red words in the Gospels, it's Jesus' words from Matthew to Revelation, because they were the spokesmen for Jesus. And so they could say things like, well, if the people in the church agree with what I'm saying, then they're from the Lord. That's a rather strong statement to make unless you know that you are God's divine spokesperson in that area. And then we looked at specifically three gifts, utterances of wisdom and knowledge and faith. And the utterances of wisdom and knowledge, we talked about how that had specific meaning in the letter to the Corinthians, beginning chapters 1 through 2, there's a lot of talk of the cross is not the wisdom of the world, but it is a wisdom from God. And so to have an utterance of wisdom is to be able to tell the beauty and glory of the cross. And knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8, is not just abstract facts, but knowledge is knowledge that leads to love. And then we also noted the specific example in Acts 5 of Peter being able to know what Ananias and Sapphira we're doing with their finances an utterance of wisdom and knowledge and how that applies even today. And we talked some specifics there. And then lastly, we talked about faith. We said that's not just the general gift of faith because every believer has that. You can't be a believer if you don't have the gift of faith. But there's specific giving of the gift of faith. People like George Mueller, per se, like that. But today, we're going to dive into the next three before we move on to the next section, and that is the gifts of healing, miracles, and then distinguishing between spirits. We're not avoiding tongues or prophecy, but Paul will expound on those as we get later, so we'll pick them up when he has extended discussions on them. But first, 
each one of these, what I've tried to do is say, well, what does the Bible say about this gift? And then do we see it active today? And we're going to spend most of our time, you can just even see by the handout how it's laid out. We're going to spend most of our time on the gifts of healing. And as you know, we just spent a long time going through Luke, Luke's gospel. So I just went through, okay, what were the times in Luke's gospel that Jesus healed someone? And we can just kind of read the short thing. So you got the verses there, but I'm going to divvy them up. Jerry, if you turn to Luke 4.18, and it's really easy. You can just flip to each one if you want to go along. Katrina 4.38. Stan, could you read Luke 5.12 and 13? Christina, could you read Luke 5.24? Keith, Luke 6.6 6 through 11. Are you able to jostle a baby and read? All right, thank you, Maria. 8.43 through 48. Joseph 13.12. John, reading from Luke, 14.1 through 4. And then I'll read 22, 50 through 51. So here, Luke's gospel, these are the various times. And as we go through, I want you to be thinking, what do we notice about Jesus' healings? Because then I have three words that I think can describe them all. But as Jesus heals, what can we say about his healings? So we'll start with you, Jerry. Luke four eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. Proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those who are oppressed, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All right, so the healing there is for the for the blind. So there you have that first one. Now we'll see specifics. Luke four thirty eight. Katrina. Read the next verse too, sorry. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve him. Uh, so normally when you're sick and you get better, what happens? You rest. You rest. But she immediately has not just like, okay, I am no longer having a fever. She immediately gets up and serves him. She has energy. She's able to function like it was never there. All right, next we have Luke 5, 12 through 13. And it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus then and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Yeah, leprosy. Now, what was leprosy? We don't have to go deep, but what basically was leprosy? Yeah. All right, next one, Christina, 524. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. All right, so here we have a paralyzed man, and you know what happens? He gets up and walks home. Uh, and Jesus, we'll talk about this more later, did it so they would know it's not just he can heal, but he has authority to forgive sins. Keith, you have a longer one, 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. 
And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now this story I always find amazing because they're all mad. And so Jesus doesn't go, okay, you know what? This is going to make him upset. Hey, why don't you follow me outside of the synagogue and we'll just do this. And you can... No, he brings them to the middle of the room. He's like, okay. And then when he heals, they don't go, wow. Man, this... they get angry. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of what you would expect. Um, but we see other healings. Luke 8, 43 through 48. All right, so an issue of bleeding for 12 years. I've had some stuff that I thought was going on a long time, but uh, nothing close to that at all. 12 years of pain. Now I'm going to go ahead and read since we're right here at this next section. Jesus is not just healing people. He's also bringing the dead back to life. Because look down right below those verses, verse 49 to 56. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead but taking her by the but taking her by the hand he called saying child arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat and her parents were amazed but he charged them to tell no one what had happened so he brought the dead even back to life and so we're going on we got a few more joseph luke 13 12 And real quick, the disability here is she was had a bent back for 18 years. 18 years where she was hunched over, bent back, bent back however you want to word that. Again, something that was in a community like theirs, small villages, everyone would have known she has this issue. Or we have Luke 14, 1 through 4. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the rulers and the Pharisees, saying, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then you took him and healed him and sent him away. Now, dropsy is kind of a condition where your body fills with fluid. And so it would be someone, maybe you see someone with like puffy eyes, puffy face, and what's going on. Here, it's not just face, it's his whole body is just kind of bloated, and it's very noticeable. Um, last one, Luke 22, 50 through 51, probably one of the more famous ones, because this is Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they come out to arrest him. And what does Peter do? Pulls out a sword and he chops off one of the men's ears. Now that was not Peter's uh, adept skill. That was probably his fisherman lack of skill. And as he was swinging, just happened to hit the ear, not the head. So almost missed. But that's my guess. We don't really know. Nonetheless, verses 51, it says, But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. So, ear comes off. No glue like at the United Regional Emergency Room to glue it together. He just goes, ear back together perfectly. So, we have these various ones, and that's just in Luke's Gospel. We could read the other Gospels that maybe have some other accounts. I mentioned on there, if you're following along on this little sheet, that he brought the dead back to life. But it's also important to note the ways he healed. We're not going to necessarily turn to these, but we saw earlier what the one that Stan read, he touched. So sometimes Jesus' touch brought healing. Luke 5, 24, sometimes it was just his word. He just spoke. He didn't have to touch them. He didn't need to do anything. His word alone had the power to bring healing. And sometimes, as in the story of the centurion who comes, he says, no, no, you don't need to come in my house. And Jesus says, okay, go. And he goes home and his daughter is healed. Even from a distance, Jesus can heal someone. So I put, and we can expand on this, Jesus' healings were all instantaneous. They were all clear and they were all totally restorative. So let's kind of think about those. What do we mean by instantaneous? What? Yeah, as opposed to as opposed to what when we go to get help. It's a little better. Yeah. A little better and now we need you also to go to physical therapy and you know what in 6 months you'll be back to normal. It's not, it's not natural progression, it's supernatural change. Yeah, it's supernatural. There's no way to explain any single one of these with he just had earlier insights into some medical technology or something. Nothing could be explained by a natural understanding. All right, so it's instantaneous, supernatural, clear. What do we? Why is it important that it's clear? What does that mean? Well, it could have been some other thing that he it was the herbs or uh, his back hit something and it put the spine back into place and now I could walk. Yeah. And all of these, everybody can see. It's not that. She comes and says, I have, my shoulder hurts. And I touch and she goes, my shoulder's better. Now that might be true. I'm not denying that. But can anyone else in the room know if her shoulder's better? No. Now that's not, again, that's not to deny that God doesn't do those things. But Jesus' healings that we're told about are not like that. He may have done those type of healings, but they're all something that any person who had been around could go, 
They were this way. They interacted with Jesus. And they were completely different. This is very clear. They're like, no matter how you want to figure out the middle two, what happened at this time and this time are clearly different things than this person. And then they were totally restorative. What is that? They weren't just partial. Took them all the way for pure health. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, well, I got your ear on, but you know I've got to hear. It just won't look weird with a missing ear. Or, you know what? Um, you're going to be able to kind of walk, kind of. No, the man in other times gets up and they run. They're fully healed. They're no longer paralyzed. Or not just healed a fever. There, it's like the fever never happened. They're serving. So there is one very peculiar healing that Jesus does of a blind man, where on his initial healing, I think it was mud in the eyes. The guy said, "I see men and they're like trees walking," and so it wasn't clear right off the bat. And you go, "It's a, it's an odd." Anecdote, uh, but most of them are that way. But there is that one that's you know it took it took a second time to totally restored it in three steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you did the steps are very wow. interesting. Well, the, there's one in John nine, but the one in Mark eight, I purposely think he did that because if you read Mark seven, eight, and nine, in Mark seven, I believe he feeds the five thousand. Mark eight, they have this. And then they're asking, and I believe in Mark 9, he feeds the 4,000. They, they say, basically, they don't believe. And I believe that the author of Mark and Jesus do this to show that the disciples are like this man. They're starting to see, but they're not seeing the whole thing. It wasn't that in any way Jesus was like, man, I forgot the like magic formula to say, and I got it halfway right. But then he came back, and I remembered Oh yes, I got to pronounce this part just right, and then I'll get them on the second time. So, and Keith is good to bring that up, um, but sometimes, and you're not, but sometimes people overplay those. Well, look here. Sometimes it doesn't always. Well, there's a purpose to that. It wasn't that Jesus in any way couldn't. But why did Jesus do this? Because he had the authority to, and he was also demonstrating, in at least one case, that he had the authority to forgive sins as well. And it's hard to convince somebody that you have the authority to forgive sins. It sounds a lot like blasphemy if you don't know who you're talking to, but when he shows them that he can has the authority to rebuke a fever for crying out loud. You know, whoever thought of rebuking a fever, well, he did and it worked. The fever obeyed him. Yeah, like you were just saying, I can say your sins are forgiven, but... Is there like a ding and a light bulb that goes off over someone's head when their sins are forgiven? Well, no. But if I say, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven, and you can get up and walk, whoa, like that, that's clear. Um, but Jerry read for us earlier Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. Turn back there, because Jesus, Jerry kind of summarized it really well, but in these verses, Jesus clearly says, why he came to do these things. We're not going to necessarily read through it. But here, excuse me, basically Jesus comes back to his hometown and he goes into the synagogue and there he goes up as they would do and he goes to read from the, Torah, the Old Testament. They wouldn't have called it that at that time. But he chooses specifically from Isaiah 61 and then he reads the verses, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says he sat down, and notice verse 21, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So basically he's saying, look, I'm the Messiah. I'm the king who's come to restore everything. Well, he then does, doesn't say, so now I'm going to go back and work on my carpentry career, and then I'm going to die, and I'll rise again, but y'all don't need to worry about seeing any of that. Just, just believe. And he then goes and shows time after time after time as we showed, look, you can see that the kingdom has come. Um, and yet, and you, the one you mentioned, even 520 there, that Jesus did that so he could show he had authority to forgive sins. But as you might expect, people had doubts. There's one person that we wouldn't expect to have doubts, but as he wondered more about Jesus, he began to go, is Jesus really who he says he is? And that is John the Baptist. As John the Baptist is sitting in a prison cell of Herod, I'm sure his mind goes back to these verses going, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. I have chains on my hand. He came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. If he's the Messiah, why am I in this prison cell? That doesn't match with what he's saying. So flip over to Luke chapter 7. So what does John do? He sends his disciples to go talk to Jesus. John 7. And Jerry, we're back to you. Could you read John? Sorry. John is asking in Luke chapter 7, 18 through 23. Can you read what happens here? The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Do you want me to read it? Through 23, sorry. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Uh, so you can, <laughs> I can imagine being one of two of John's disciples, and you come to Jesus, and as they come, he does all this stuff, and they're like, uh, you ask. No, 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 you ask. <laughs> And finally, like, um, Jesus, John, John wants to know. We're not asking, but John asks us to ask. John wants to know, are you really the Messiah? Now, notice some things Jesus didn't do. Jesus did, then did not rebuke them. He did not say, how dare you? How can you even ask such a question? Now, at times he does rebuke the other, his disciples' lack of faith. But he doesn't say, I can't believe John. John baptized me. He can't be asking questions like that. No, the Bible never calls us to what is called fideism. Fideism is belief without evidence. Now, a lot of people who are skeptical of Christianity say, well, that's what, that's what faith is. Faith is when you just want to believe something and there's no evidence. We, we go by facts. Well, the Bible, God never calls us to that. He never says, just believe this. Really, there's no evidence for it, but just believe it. 
And notice Jesus, one, didn't rebuke them, but two, he said, go tell them what you saw, what I've been doing. There's evidence for why you should believe this. He wasn't doing this in secret. And then he said basically six things to tell them. Look, blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised, the poor are preached the good news. And so basically he's doing two things. One, he's telling them what really happened. And two, he's tying that again to Isaiah, showing that's what was prophesied. I'm doing the very thing. So if John wants to know if I'm the one who's to come, well, I have all this evidence that matches what the prophets exactly said would come. And so it's authenticating who Jesus is and what he is doing. And it's rather amazing when you back up and think about the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they weren't prone to believe this. (laughs) Like we now go, oh, these disciples, they just kind of, they made all this up. We don't say this, but some people say this. And they wanted to just, they wanted to believe all this. But what did they do when Jesus was arrested? (laughs) They all fled. And then once he was on trial, Peter lied and denied him, even to cursing himself. And then when he was killed, what did they all do? They didn't all have lawn chairs sitting at the tomb on the third day going, okay, any moment now, it's going to happen. They didn't expect the resurrection. It was only as the facts were shoved in their face, oh, he's there and he's got a hole in his hands and in his side, that they go, I believe. The facts led them to their faith. There was always evidence for it. So, I want to pause there. Keith, I think you want to say something Because I think from that we see this clear reason why Jesus did healing and clear healings. And we're going to talk next about the apostles and then we'll talk about today. But yes, Keith. Yeah, I was just going to point out in John, John is replete with uh, the use of these signs to confirm. And that, and we, you have it here with regard to the doubting. Yes, absolutely a support to the doubting. But it was... His, his miracles were a confirmation to the world of who he is. And they are today. They, yeah. they stand as a confirmation. Now people will dismiss the miraculous and they go, well, you can't do anything about that. But it, they do stand as a confirmation. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments on Jesus' healing? Or healings, we should say. There's compassion there too. Yes. Yes. Like from the Old Testament law perspective, that was like would have been costly of him to touch a leper because he would have been unclean for at least a week. And but but even in their uncleanliness, he takes on the cost and makes everything clean. That's just a really powerful picture. Yeah. And yet it doesn't just stay with Jesus. We see this with the disciples. We're going to show this. Katrina, if you could turn to Luke nine six, and I'll also have you do Luke ten nine. Um, Stan, if you could turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Christina, Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. Keith, Acts 8, 7. Marie, Acts 19, 11. Joseph, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. And John, 1 Thessalonians 1, 
5, and I'll get the Hebrews 2, 4 passage. So, Jesus here in Luke chapter 9 is talking to his disciples. Could you read Luke 9, 6, and then flip and read 10, 9? So here the disciples are healing. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, so here Jesus sends them out a second time and he tells them the same thing. Go preach the gospel and heal. And then we, so we've seen that and then we see it throughout Acts. Acts chapter 3, 6 through 8, if you could read that for us. Yep, Stan. Acts chapter 3, 6 through 8. Yep, sorry about that. That's all right. We'll get there. Which verses? Chapter 3, 6 through 8. 6 through 8. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. Yeah, another clear, this man, everyone in the temple would know this man's been begging for years. Now he stands up and not kind of shuffles across the floor by the aid of crutches or canes. He's walking and leaping. Any of you who've had knee, ankle, hip pain, you know, that is not something, you don't leap when you're in that pain. And you, you know, you maybe can get by with a shuffled act like you're walking. You're not leaping and praising God. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's fine. <laughs> None of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All right, so again, many clear, miraculous healings. Even Peter's shadow would bring healing. Keith, Acts 8, 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Again, paralyzed, lame, clear things that were instantly restored. Marie, I believe you had Acts 19, 11. So even his handkerchiefs and... His napkins, if they could take them, would heal people. Now, it does say extraordinary, so we don't want to push it too far. Maybe Paul had an extra, extra gift. But nonetheless, we do see a very miraculous gift going on through the apostles. But again, as with Jesus, this was authentication of the apostolic ministry. As we said, God doesn't just say, well, this person's from me, just believe. He's my son. Y'all just got to believe. 
Same with the apostles. How do we know that they were from God? 2 Corinthians 12, 12. So the signs of an apostle. So they would know this is a true apostle. Or John, if you could read 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So the gospel came with power and with wonders. So it's not just what they said. They could see evidence of it. Hebrews 2.4 uh, I'll back up to middle three. It was declared at first by the Lord, the message, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So was, this message of Jesus was attested. It was given evidence to by his disciples, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So his word is attested. It's given evidence by these men, and by what God did through them in these clear things. And so, I think we need to realize that often God has given miracles to authenticate those who are proclaiming the gospel. God does not call us to fideism. So when the most important figure in history comes, Jesus, we see an explosion of miracles. And then when his ambassadors continue to work, we see an extra amount of miracles. So what about today? Well, as we jump into this, I want to follow a common line of thinking. You may have heard this, but turn over to Matthew chapter 8, 14 through 17. Matthew chapter 8, 14 through 17. Here, this is the story we read in Luke about Peter's mother-in-law being healed of her leprosy not leprosy of her fever verse 15 it says he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick but then it says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet isaiah he took our illnesses and bore our diseases and so the implication is that the atonement, Jesus' atonement, His work on the cross, purchasing for us God's salvation by taking God's wrath, redeemed us from our illnesses. Thus, one prominent TV teacher on his website on the front page says, don't tolerate sickness and disease any longer. He also on another link says, the time of healing is now. And they will press this and say, if you don't believe this, you're not believing the full extent of the atonement. Right here, the atonement has purchased your healing. True? False? Depends what you're talking about. I'll say yes, but when? When is the deposit to be cashed in? When is the, the trust of our inheritance given? Can you maybe expand on what you said there? The, I mean, in he Hebrews it talks about like us being like children almost, and then in the future as we grow up as an heir, the trust of our inheritance, the full uh, atonement, 
that the, the inheritance was, was paid for in the atonement of Christ, and therefore that imagery that we receive full and complete healing at the resurrection, but there's the already and not and not yet today. So was did did the did the atonement purchase full healing? Yes, but when do we receive all of it? I think at the resurrection. It's in the revelation. I mean, we see that at the end that there is healing. Uh, right now, there's still death. Yeah. So. As Joseph and Keith very clearly said, we should say, yes, there is healing in the atonement. We should not deny that in any stretch. But we should also say, there's purchase from death in the atonement. <laughs> no, no group today is claiming people won't die if they're Christians. There's an already, yes. Yes, that did. there's also in the atonement purchase of Complete deliverance from sin. Now, some groups would say that, so maybe don't pursue that. But death! <laughs> the atonement purchase that we will never die again. And yet, we do not fully see that. I put on the page, the already and not yet of the kingdom. Joseph mentioned that language. It's a helpful way to think about when Jesus came, His kingdom did come. And yet, what did Jesus also teach us to pray? Thy kingdom come well how can he say both well because he's saying he's come but he's going to come again his kingdom has not yet been fully established it is he's conquered and he's waiting in heaven by the father's right hand until everything is in subjection to his feet and when he comes again then everything that he purchased in the atonement will be fully realized and so we should Agree with our friends. Yes, there is healing in the atonement, but that does not mean there will always be healing. Now, and we even see that in the New Testament. On your page, I have a few verses. In 1 Timothy 5.23, when Timothy is having stomach ailments, sounds like, Paul tells him to drink some wine. He doesn't say, have the elders, whoever in the church has a gift of healing, take care of that. Or, in Galatians 4, 13-14, Paul had to kind of detour his missionary endeavors because he had an ongoing illness. He did not expect that he would have all healing in this life. Or, in 1 Timothy 4, 20, he leaves a guy named Trophis or Troas, if I can find my, somewhere in here it says his name. But he leaves them on that missionary journey because he was sick. Again, Paul clearly and Peter were told the most about their healing power. And yet, he couldn't just say, well, I'm going to heal you and you're just going to keep coming on the journey because, you know, everyone on our journey, we're never going to get sick because we got the atonement. No, even in the New Testament, people are not fully healed. So, does healing still occur today? And that's a different question. <laughs> so, back to 1 Corinthians 12, is there a gift of healing? And this is where I think we sometimes talk past each other. Well, if we're going to talk about the gift of healing like the Bible talks about the gift of healing, like this stuff here, there's very little evidence for it. Not with me, a person, being able to go around like Jesus, Peter, or Paul, and people who had things like this, through the Spirit's enablement, I am able to bring healing. Do Christians still pray? And does God bring healing that medical doctors go... I've been doing this for 30 years and this makes no sense. I have the chart from last time and I see you today and I have no explanation for how you're better. Yes. 
So this is often we, we talk past each other and the terms continuous cessationists are not always helpful. If you're saying they have stopped like the apostles, then I would agree. If you're saying, well, God set up the universe and now it's just running along some mechanistic laws, I'm going to disagree and go, no, God is continually involved and we should pray. James chapter 5, we should call the elders. We should anoint people with oil and we should eagerly expect and humbly submit to whether God brings healing or not. So there's both of these tensions that we need to have. But I think it's really important to see this because what your expectations are always determine, almost always, clar- clarify, what you, how you experience it. So you've probably all had this happen. Your friend goes, you got to watch movie X. It's the funniest movie I've ever seen. And they go on and on and on and on. And so you're going in like, this is gonna be a, I'm just going to be rolling the whole time. And then you watch it and you go, eh, it was kind of funny. There were a few scenes. But because your expectations were up here, yeah, it wasn't that good. Well, if we tell people, and some Christians do tell people, if you believe in Jesus, you will always be healed. What is the negative spiritual effect that is going to happen in their life? It's a sham. The whole thing's a sham. What are the other things that may happen? The thing that I saw most when I saw the church is why, like, one question is, like, why is God not acting today? Why is God not doing that today? And if He's not doing today, and I'm being told we should expect that, should we really believe He did it back then? And so then they, they extrapolate back and being like, what's going on? There's an incongruence of, I'm being told we should expect this, I'm being told health and wealth, but, but it's not happening. Is God faithful to his word? Is he trust, trust, trustworthy? And then they begin to even doubt the whole thing at the beginning. So there's a, to, to clarify the uniqueness of back then compared to today, I think that's a, that's a really important thing to, to explain or uh, unpack. Well, I think also in that sometimes it doesn't go back then, it goes internal. Well, the issue then must be me because I don't believe enough. I got I to gotta trust harder. Man, I'm, I might not even be saved because this should all be happening and I've gone forward to this person and this person and they've touched me they pray, and I'm still not healed. There must be some unrepentant sin in my life. I'm the problem. And it is very destructive for people's faith because God heals not because of your great faith, but because of his great power. And it can be destructive to their lives too. Yeah. I mean, go to the doctor, let the doctor heal you with surgery or medicine. And they're sitting there with their child or with the, their spouse. And they're trying to have faith in this and praying over it. And they die where it could have been taken care of very easily. Yeah. And we even see in the new Testament, Instructions for medical, natural cures. Not denying the supernatural, but recognizing how God often works. He could always work supernaturally. We should pray for that, but we don't deny the need for present action. Uh, Well, we're going to fly through these last two because they kind of have already set the stage. Uh, Working of miracles. I don't think this is only demon possession, but I think it's one of the clearer ones. 
Um, we read, and I, you can see the verses on there for sake of time. We're not going to turn to them, but you, you can check me. You should always check us, make sure we're getting this from God's Word. Um, but numerous times, Jesus cast out demons. And the unique thing or interesting thing is, quite frequently when Jesus would get near the demon-possessed, they would cry out to Him, <laughs> have nothing to do with us. They immediately recognized His Lordship. Uh, with Jesus, there's other things. He calmed a storm. In Luke chapter 5, he knew where the fish were. In Luke, Matthew 17, he knew, hey, we got to pay a tax. Peter, go throw a line in and pull a fish out, and that fish will have a coin to pay the tax. For both of us. For both of us. Now, that, that's a fisherman's tale, if you ever heard one. But it's true. <laughs> you know, that, that's something that only someone who could work miracles could do. Now, the interesting thing is you don't read as much of those secondary things with the apostles. You do read of the casting out of demons, but you don't hear stories of calming storms, finding, being able to use their spiritual sense to know where the fish are or anything like that. Well, is that active today? Well, I, demons are active today. And there are Christians who before they were Christians were demon-possessed. And they have been removed out by the power of Jesus. So yes, that still exists today, but we got again, we got to be cautious. Not everything is demon. My pride might be Jeremy's sinful pride, not the demon of pride that needs to be cast out. So not every problem in the world has a demon behind it. And as Christians, we can clearly say that he, Jesus is greater, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You cannot be possessed, I believe, as a believer with demons. Uh, lastly, we have the distinguishing between spirits. We've looked at this, I think, two other weeks, so we're not going to dive into it as much, but there, I think this is an extra greater awareness that the Spirit gives to some Christians to be able to test the spirits. I would say these would probably be the type of people that you move into the roles of elder because what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to guard the flock and be able to recognize, warning, that's a wolf over there. You know, and not only others, hopefully other people in the church have this gift to be able to test and go, well, kind of like earlier, yes, we should agree that the atonement has healing, but we got to realize that not all the benefits of the atonement occur in this lifetime. And even in the Old Testament, there's warning about testing the prophets, testing the spirits. But we'll end with this, because I think it's a very powerful story. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. So after Hebrews, James, then First and Second Peter. Second Peter 1, obviously written by Peter. Peter the Apostle. And once he went with James and John up on Mount of Olives, and Jesus was transfigured. He basically took off the shadow that covered his glory and his full glory was seen there with Moses and Elijah and God the Father spoke and said this is my beloved son listen to him now imagine you'd experience this like, I'm going to believe forever I had this vision if Peter was alive today he'd write a book on it go on tour but notice what he says Second Peter 1 16 through 21, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his 
majesty. I believe he's talking about the transfiguration. Because he explains, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's saying, look, we had this great thing, but notice what he says next. And we have something more sure. I have something better than any vision. Anyone, no one will have a vision like this. Even if we say there's visions today, and I, I'm not necessarily opposed to saying that, no one will ever have a better vision than this. And yet he says, I have something better than that vision. The, he says, something more sure, the prophetic word, referring to the scriptures, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. For until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as our friends, as our Christian friends have visions or dreams or whatever, we went kind of into detail last week. What should we think about that? What we can always say is, okay, great, but there's something better than whatever maybe you did or didn't experience. And you should pay more attention to that than your vision. Even Peter tells us that. Pay attention to the Word. That's how we test everything. That's the standard by which we can go, this is what we know is from the Spirit of God. What you experienced maybe was, maybe wasn't. We know for sure this is what we should heed to. Any final comments or questions as we wrap up? Would you call this discernment? Yes. Yeah. I've struggled a good bit in the past how we talk about the, the, the role of the miracles authenticating the gospel to the lost. But it's like the Lord isn't supporting missionaries today with authenticating the gospel to the lost in new and unreached places. Is that true based on that? Well, I would say not necessarily authenticating to the lost. He was authenticating that his son is the king who has come. So the authentication is not... I mean, even there, most of the authentication was done for believers, not to unbelievers. about what Paul's words were, what Peter's words were, my understanding would be was that, was that was that back on Acts 2 or whatever, they were preaching the word as well and there was accompanying miracles, but today it seems more like there's preaching of the word and accompanying working of the Holy Spirit, but not in supernatural ways. So it does feel a little different. Well, yeah, what well, is different, I wouldn't want to deny that. I'm just saying the main authentication was that these are the ambassadors from God. 
And so then now we point back to that same authentication. But yes, I mean, we, there's clearly with missionaries, or even when we're witnessing, we don't say, well, why don't you come to the hospital? We got a person in there and I'm going to heal them and then you can believe. So, I don't know if that answered your question. But. I think it's just it's, it's something that 